Welcome to the National Academy Museum and School of Fine Arts. Uh, I'm Marshall Price, the uh, Associate Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art, and we are kicking off the fourth year, fourth year, I think, is that right? Fifth. Of fifth, fifth year of the review panel, five years of the review panel, um, which is a wonderful program, and I'm happy to see you all here. Um, I am going to introduce the moderator, who will then introduce the panelists. Um, and I should also say that we're very grateful to uh, the Department of Cultural Affairs and the New York State Council on the Arts for funding this program. Uh, the moderator this evening is David Cohen. He is the editor of the website artcritical.com, and he runs the gallery at the New York Studio School as well as the programs there. Correct, David? Just the gallery. Just the gallery, just the gallery, okay. Um, so that being said, I'll turn it over to David for tonight's program. Thank you very much. Thank you to the Academy, to Marshall and all his colleagues, Christine Williams, chief among them, for all the wonderful work in publicizing the review panel, in uh, organizing it, making it happen, fundraising for it, etc. Uh, let me know by a show of hands if this is your first review panel. Goodness me. <laughs> I better explain the rules then. Well, thank you for coming along. It's lovely to see you. hope we see more of you. The review panel is, as you would have gathered from uh, simply being here, a forum in which uh, three guests, three distinguished guests, join me to review current exhibitions. Um, by a show of hands, how many of you have seen two or more of the shows we're going to be talking about? Oops, we better be on our toes, panel. Excellent. So what we do is um, I've prepared a, a little PowerPoint presentation, or more to the point, my, my trusty assistant, Gabby Grodin, has. And we will um, give ourselves little refreshers, visual refreshers of the shows that we're going to be talking about. And um, then we have a discussion among ourselves. And after every... Uh, somewhere in, after maybe two or three such discussions, we'll take a little break and give the audience uh, a chance to uh, let off some steam and share their thoughts on what we've been seeing and perhaps probe us a little if we've been failing to address what, what they consider the core issues to be. Um, so that's, that's the format of the evening. Um, but my first pleasure and privilege is to introduce um, our guests. Uh, from my right, uh, Nick Stillman, who's a managing editor at Bomb magazine and a regular contributor to Art Forum, The Nation, and Modern Painters and other publications. Uh, recent catalog essays that he's authored have been devoted to the artists Catherine Bernhardt and Dan McCarthy. And previously, it should be noted, he was the uh, founding editor of NIFA Current, uh, a website of... Um, uh, published by the uh, New York Foundation for the Arts, uh, devoted to uh, uh, artists' writings. And he's also a, has also served in the past as a curatorial advisor at PS1. Uh, to my left is Faye Hirsch, uh, senior editor at Art in America magazine, uh, a post she's held since 2003. Uh, prior to that, uh, Faye was uh, uh, editor-in-chief of uh, uh, at Art on Paper, 
uh, and a senior editor at the Print Collector's Newsletter. She has an expertise in contemporary printmaking. Uh, she received her PhD from Yale in 1987 and has taught at uh, Oregon in Eugene and Arizona at Tucson at the School of Visual Arts in New York and at RISD in Providence. Uh, and she's also, we also see her writings, uh, have seen her writings at Art Forum, Flash Art, Parquette, and other magazines. And among her forthcoming publications are an essay on Beatrice Milhaes for the a retrospective of the Museo Nacional de Sao Paulo and a book on the Tamarind Press. And um, our, our fourth uh, panelist this evening is Joao Ribas, who is curator at the Drawing Center and a widely published critic. Uh, he was briefly a colleague of mine on the New York Sun. And um, he, uh, his recent exhibitions at the Drawing Center have included uh, Rearcrit Tirvanit, Demonstration Drawings, which is currently on view, and Frederick Kiesler, Co-Realities, which was seen over the summer. And he's working on retrospectives of the surrealist writer Unika Zorn and the American artist Ray Morton, and is a frequent lecturer on art and critical theory and an adjunct professor at the School of Visual Arts. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. Wonderful. Well, without further ado, let's, let's press on and look at our first show, which is Kota Izawa, who's showing at Murray Guy. Nick, please share with us, who would deprive the experience, the, the full intensity of the three-dimensionality of um, last year Marian Bat. I actually wear contacts, and that day I was wearing glasses. I remember specifically. Right. Um, okay. So I took off my glasses and put on the 3D glasses, but it was an abstraction. Um, was it an abstraction anyway? That's, the, that's perhaps the question we should be I, asking. I, I mean, I, I guess I'll answer. The Marion Bad one for me worked a lot less than the other one, and I'd be curious to hear what you guys thought about the, the contrast between the two pieces. I, I should say that I really like Kota's stuff, and, and I always have ever since I saw it. Uh, and I think what I like about it is that he, um, he, he makes, they're almost like these, these videos, which are, they're, uh, they're, you watch them as videos, but they're actually, um, and maybe one of my, maybe someone could help me out if I get this wrong, but I think they're, they're like cutouts. He, he makes cutouts and then uh, very labor intensively animates them, right? So that it, they, they move and they, you know, they're, they're sequenced almost as if they're cartoons or whatever, but they're very primitive. Um, and he, the, the pieces that I've seen from him in the past, and I've only seen maybe five or six, but there are these very kind of watershed moments in cultural history or sports history as in the, um, the basketball one. And uh, it takes the, the original audio from them and the original video that exists and basically just appropriates it and makes, makes these uh, kind of cartoons out of it. And they're very intentionally, I think, flat and sort of banal and boring. Um, I guess because the, the primitivism of the form kind of sucks all the drama from it. But the Marion Bad one, I mean, and maybe this is a personal opinion, but I think it's kind of a boring movie to begin with. 
uh, mm -hmm. perhaps intentionally so. And so I guess like doubling up that banality um, just kind of made it extra banal to me. And the <laughs> the uh, the 3D thing was gimmicky and, and strange and unnecessary to me. But yeah. Yeah, well, there we are. We've um, that's that's certainly a take. Now, um, <laughs> uh, we've. I think uh, we, we we're competing with a sporting event tonight. Is that right? Did you tell me that? No, the Red Sox play tomorrow night. Oh, all oh, right. Okay. Yes, I'm a little out of touch with sport. Um, when when I first invited Nick to be on the series, he told me that we'd have to have a parallel screen with the, uh, with the, with the, with the game going. The but, uh, uh, but apparently it's tomorrow night anyway, so that, that is uh, something we're spared. But um, a banal moment or, or a moment of high, of, of high art, did, did you feel, Faye, that his, his uh, technique and his um, modus operandi is better suited to the high or the low? Did, did, did that come across as a contrast between the two works for you? Well, I, I agree with Nick about, about the relative worth of the two films. For me, the, the, the brawl was much more exciting a film and a little bit more difficult to talk about. I think it was a lot subtler in, in many ways. Um, the, the, way, the way movement happens in his movies um, so that the, the gestures are so, I mean, things have been stripped away so much. All the details, all the extraneous details, and you hear the soundtrack of the brawl and you hear the, the sportscaster and the camera, so-called camera, is sort of moving slowly back and forth, and you find yourself following it. It's quite gripping. The um, the the gestures, the things he picks out to focus on, um, and then the the sort of spareness in contrast with the with the um, this kind of tumult that's in the soundtrack. I found, uh, and also the palette of it, the color of it. I just thought it was a really really interesting film. The other one. Um, I think it's a lot easier to talk about. I agree that it's a lot less interesting, but the one thing I want to say for it is that I love the idea of it is, in, in essence, a remake, like a film is, like, like later remakes of films always are. And it's sort of interesting that he would, that, that he would pick, uh, his remake would have to be, of a film would have to be so physical in a certain way, because he's really taking it physically and kind of altering it. Um, and so I guess for me it was interesting, that, that was a sort of a curious take on a remake. And then I also liked the kind of elegance of it, um, which I know was part of the original film, but it reminded me a lot of Alex Katz. Mm, and, and I thought that it was, I thought that it, it had that kind of, of sort of frisson between, between fashion and pop. And, with, and, and then there was this high art, which was this avant-garde film. And the one other thing I liked about it was the way it was shown in the room, um, close to the floor, the, the way the heads would rise up out of the floor sometimes. It, 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 what was happening was the camera was panning backwards and the figure was moving further back. But the effect was that it was actually rising up out of the, the floor. And I thought that just visually that, was, that, was a, um, that worked really well. But I also agree that it was, it was banal and kind of boring. Um, and and wasn't my definitely wasn't my favorite of the two films. Well, it had it, it didn't have any narrative urgency, did it? It was more static. It's not necessarily so much that it was boring. I'd suggest that it was um, more like a painting that happened to be moving. That's true. Than yes. to, a, a story. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's obviously rather. Uh, would you agree? Wow, that there's a rather compelling kind of. Um, you. I mean, I didn't actually know the instant it was based on, so I was quite gripped at least the first time I saw it by 
what was actually happening with all that uh, raucous sound. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably the, the, the fact that those two were being shown at once was a problem. Mm. I think perhaps I, if we had seen the one without the I, other. I actually totally disagree, and, and mostly because I think there's a connection between the two films that's actually really interesting. Um, mm. the, the, I think the, the brawl is an interesting example of, of an emergence, the emergence of spontaneous violence. And there's a, a, violent, a, a violent act that breaks the script. And the, one of the interesting things to watch is the failure of trying to mediate that, that script, that the cameraman doesn't know what to do. This is, it, this is, it, it, it was an interesting parallel, for example, um, if you've ever watched broadcasts of like Ceausescu, and when he was giving speeches, and, mm -hmm. and somebody would violently react, and they, the, the, they would cut the signal. Because they actually had, did not have a culture to deal with the this, this sort of spontaneity of the script. And so there's this, curi this choreography that breaks down, and somebody has to mediate it. And what you saw was a desperate attempt to do that, further mediated through this animation. Mm -hmm. the, 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 so there's a real event that emerges. The Marionbot film is actually the total opposite to me. It's about this, this deep need through civility and through a kind of decorum to keep the spontaneous violence from erupting. It really is a movie that, you know, you, when you watch it, you're not sure. It's a movie about the possibility of rape, the possibility of seduction. It's about the possibility of an event that's being forgotten. Did it ever happen? We don't know. And the idea of keeping that impulse to that kind of anarchic violence at bay is, is in a sense, what I thought the, the hmm. Marion Bod film was, as opposed to the complete and total spontaneity of the violence in the basketball film, which really was, again, this desperate attempt to, how do you deal with this? And if, if you notice, even the narration, there's a constant need to keep that kind of, what I'm doing now, to fill in the gaps that an announcer is always constantly trying to do, to say, oh, how, how, what do you do when the ball stops? You have to keep talking, you have to say, you have to say something. Well, what do you do when the total fourth wall between the basketball players and the audience gets broken down? The whole, the whole script was thrown into the air. And I think the Marienbad film is about the opposite. It's about everyone knows something happened and everyone's pretending like they don't. And these are total, these are cutouts. And the subtext of the film I think is made very, very obvious and again, Azawa is using things that, that he's trying to use tropes and, 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 and images that are already familiar to us. And I think Marienbad is, in many ways, the ultimate film about mm -hmm. film. And he's using, really, a film that, where the camera is constantly moving through space and trying to figure out what, what actually happened. And so I thought that interesting palette was actually quite effective. But. Can I just respond to one thing sure. that, that he said? I, 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 um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that maybe I would disagree that, that that effect that you're talking about that was in the original movie came through in this, in this particular take on it, but I'm really interested in that thing you said about Ceausescu, of all things, because what I, what I had written down when I was thinking about this movie was you really get a feeling in it when you're watching it, the brawl, of that moment when suddenly there's a violent thing that happens around you and there's this kind of weird stillness. It's like you don't really know, everything's erupting, but there's also this way in which nothing's happening. Exactly. And I, I, feel, like, I feel like he really gets that yeah. because of the way he strips it down yeah. and the way it looks visually and the way it moves, the way, the way the figures move in it and everything, he gets at that feeling, um, which I thought was really extraordinary. And he also used, I just wanted, the last thing I want to say to what you're saying is, he also used two different media very deliberately. The Marionbad projection is digital. 
the U-tube, which is what it's based on, is 60 millimeter. So he's even varying the formats in such a way that you're watching this violent brawl, and you're also aware of this, you know, the classic din of the projector moving. There's a distancing effect, that you're mm -hmm. watching a contemporary event through the guise of the kind of graininess of 60 millimeter film. And I thought the 3D version, was the, the 3D idea was actually maybe just a more perverse, uh, he wants to take it so far away from any kind of emotive content that he'll use the most saccharine, stupid thing, which is hmm. the 3D glasses. But I thought the connection was actually quite, quite hmm. powerful about mediation, really, and violence. So are you one round to a sense of intentional banality, Nick? I mean, I'm sorry, what is the question? Uh, are you one round to a sense that the, the banality that you were, to some extent, uh, complaining about is is kind of integral to to the oh definitely I think yes. I think banality is something that he that all his work is I don't know if it's if you can say it's about on a mm -hmm. on a thematic level but I mean it's it's there in in all this stuff I remember the first piece by him I saw was maybe two thousand one two thousand two and um, it was a uh, maybe still my favorite piece by him which was this uh, this I think it was just like one still shot of a house like a suburban American suburban tract house. And all the only thing that happens in the video is that the, the landscape in the background changes from day to night, uh, slowly over the course of maybe four or five minutes. And it's this very, uh, I mean, it's boring. Like, not, I mean, it's, you're, looking, you're looking at a house and you're watching, you're watching a very, very slow moving sky uh, kind of invade and creep in and then the, the inverse happens. But it, at the same time, it's it's sad and um, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a depressing effect. I mean, it's it's it seems clearly about um, uh, suburbanism and and real estate. And it's uh, yeah, I think I think banality and this kind of slowness of pace. I mean, really, this stuff is about pacing, and the pacing is uh, is always mm. a little bit slower. I think than than is what feels comfortable or certainly what feels mm. familiar. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the banality is, is, is kind of intentional. I mean, with the brawl, it's, it's, um, the, 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 the brawl is so much about fast movement and actual bodies in space and uh, uh, the, 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 the body language and so on and so forth. And it's reduced, obviously, to a medium, which uh, by its nature can't or won't get those things, so it's, it's naff little things moving in space. It, it, it very much reminds me of um, uh, children's cartoons of the 70s. Um, and I think that's, you know. Uh, but they were the mo inherently the, the most violent. I mean, the, that, the, in a sense, that's the point, is that mm -hmm. you, can act, you can graphically depict violence within a spectrum of both intentional, unintentional, sadistic, whatever, whether it's actually physical violence or the, the idea of violence, which is in the Marienbad film, if you look at the position of the figures, they're all highly antagonistic. They're also doing something very curious, which is they're mostly all looking outside the frame, mm -hmm. whereas most of the figures in the, in the brawl video are self, it's diegetic, they're inside the camera world. Mm -hmm. No one's actually looking at the camera, whereas all the Marienbad characters, it's like Piero della Francesca paintings, there's always someone going like this. <laughs> He's sort of looking out. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the fact that you can graphically depict so much violence is kind of the point, is that, mm -hmm. and it's ironic, I think, mm -hmm. in a way that it has the opposite effect, that yeah. it actually calms, it sort of, it is actually quite 
fun and calming to watch. You know, some of those, there's a scene Well, it's where, cute, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that actually may say something about mm -hmm. the, our tolerance levels mm -hmm. in terms of, of depictions of violence. I actually saw that, that, the, the bra that brawl happen in, in real time. Yeah, me and, too. And it was, it, was it was incredibly disturbing because you are so used to that mediation. You're used to a certain choreography. And when that breaks down, it's, no, no one knew what to do at all. I mean, the right. announcers had no idea what they were doing, and, and that comes across in, in the audio that Kota uses. The camera, I mean, Kota clearly like, did a, a lot of editing with, with the camera stuff that he does in the film, but I remember the camera was, was totally all over the place. And yeah. it's extremely rare when you're watching sports on television to actually see anything in the crowd that isn't, uh, you know, like Joao was saying, totally mediated, um, passive, smiling babies. And, mm. and Hot dogs. You, but in, in this, at this point, Ron Artest was fighting with someone in yeah. the audience. And yeah. so, like, are they going to show that or not? I mean, everyone was talking about it, so are they going to show it? It was just mass confusion on this what, Was the camera scale. moving quickly in the original? Was there it, were a was ton it of darting cuts, around? Right? I, or, yeah. I mean, it, it, was, huh. it was clearly some editor was freaking out behind the scenes. <laughs> it was just, like, cut, Cause, cut, Because my cut, feeling cut. was that in, this, in the animation was that it was, it was sort of searching was searching for something. It was searching mm -hmm. for, for the central thing that was happening, and mm -hmm. it wasn't really finding it exactly. It, was, it, it found some effects um, in, in the poses of the figures, and, and, but it never, it never actually, you know, it, it's always sort of moving around looking for something, even though you hear this sort of hysterical thing going on in yeah. the soundtrack. But it also collapsed time, because yeah. many of the um, digital, but they're digital in the sense that they exist in computer space, but they're hand-drawn. Mm. Most of them. Um, so there's the, the kind of gr uh, jitteriness the of the hand in there. Yes. But I think what's it's interesting is there seemed to be no division between instant replay mm -hmm. and something happening in, in quote unquote real time. So the, everything was collapsed. So you were watching something that just happened, followed by something that was happening, followed by, and then following something that they're finding. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's, so the collapse of time is, is I think also part of that slowness that you're. And of course, Murray is the slowest film. Sure. Possible. Slow enough for me, certainly. Based on the um, slowest book. <laughs> right, possible. exactly. Yes. But uh, the, the, the irony, I think, or one of the ironies of, of, uh, of Brawl is that uh, the, the medium of animation is used to a considerable extent to de-animate, uh, to, to uh, try to, to render the, this, these fast anarchic movements as um, sort of stereotype figurines. Um, and, and almost, I was sort of brought to mind slightly of a sort of Julian Opie's figuration yeah. as well. Mm, yeah. uh, you mentioned Alex Katz, but it's, uh, um, yeah. Look, uh, we've got plenty more banality and violence ahead of us, <laughs> yes, so let's, um, let's press on. In fact, uh, let's have our next lights down and our next show, which I believe is Kreber. Yes, Michael Kreber. Well, violence and banality. I, uh, my first recollection, actually, is uh, my first thought was uh, Damien Hirst's uh, cows because of the, um, the way in which they're sliced up. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, Juan, maybe, maybe that's the wrong reference. What, 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 what do you make of the, the slicing of these um, um, objects? Well, I think that the possibility of allegory is almost completely removed right off the bat. I think that what, what's happening to me is it's an end game that is, it, I think in a way it's the logical conclusion to the kind of anemic, um, anti-compositional way that Kraber works. And I think that what, what he's doing is a very conservative 
taking a very conservative idea, which is that the end of mark making, the, the sort of twin history of, of post-war painting, is you either work with the, you either critique internal space, right, pictorial illusionism, et cetera, et cetera, or you deal with external space, the literal object, the three-dimensional as the eventual resolution of the two-dimensional. So you arrive at either two solutions, Donald Judd or James Bishop, Daniel Buren or Frank Stella. And I think what he's doing is playing up that, that issue. And he's doing it through using a very simple process, which is really dealing with you know, taking an object, doing something to it that enhances its art potential. It makes it sculptural. It's about painting and about sculpture. It's about thickness. It's about the, the, the idea of painting, which is something he's been interested in his whole career. Whether that end game is aff affective in any way, I think is something that he's completely not interested in. And, and there's a perverse sense of having it allude to something like Damien Hirst or Donald Judd, which I think really the show is a kind of, it's a joke on Donald Judd. And, and also the, 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 fet the, the, fetishist, the fetishistic side of any object like a windsurfboard which is subjected to such a deep emotional investment on the people who do that. I mean, the, the way they're marked up, the way they're dealt with, is not dissimilar to the fetishistic aspect of late 20th century painting. That may be incredibly academic and incredibly boring, but that's what it is. That, that is the end game here. And if you look at Kraber's yeah. drawings, he's doing the same thing with the idea of the personal touch, right? The idea of the kind of diaristic, impressionistic, expressive aspect of being an artist is as much a rhetoric as the idea of slicing a bunch of windsurf boards and putting them up as paintings. There's a kind of play with the idea of being a painter. Right? And as you move through the show, you kind of start to pay attention to really stupid things, like we were, looking at the details. And, you know, yes. Or even looking at all. No. And, uh, so it's like, oh, that looks like Neo Geo. Oh, that looks like Damien Hirst. Yeah. That is, in a sense, the end game. Again, mm -hmm. whether that goes anywhere, I happen to think okay. the show was really entertaining. Okay, you were right. entertained. Nick, did, were you entertained by this sort of endgame formalism, or uh, did you, were you overwhelmed by an affect that uh, we're all missing? Well, it's, it's hard to apply the word overwhelmed to that show. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think, I, think I, I really agree with a lot, uh, almost everything that Joao said. I mean, it's, I, uh, I was reading about Kreber a while ago, and, um, and the quote somewhere in, in the article was that Kreber is like a club you can't get into, which I thought, which I, is, is accurate on some level because, I mean, a, a club you can't get into, what does that mean? That's, that means, like, either some sort, it, it's two things. It's exclusivity, and exclusivity leads to this kind of desire. And so he, everything is, everything is withheld from you, you know, right down to this totally cryptic press release, yeah. meaningless press release. Mm. I mean, let's face it, meaningless art. Intentionally so, I'm sure of it. Like, Kreber's like a, he's like an art world stand-up comedian. And he is, like Joao said, doing this, and has been for a lot, of, a lot of years now, doing this thing where like, I'm a painter, except I slice up windsurfing boards and I stretch, you know, dish towels on canvases or cover, cover canvases with the, the uh, press releases from, from my show, and, and that's, that's my painting. I mean, it's, it's definitely um, kind of like a, 
I, I would say a much more perverse version of what Richard Prince is doing, maybe. Um, I mean, it's, and, and one thing that I was thinking about, it, it's interesting that Joao brought up Judd, who is an artist that uh, I, I didn't think of when I saw the show, and I, I, I definitely see what you mean. I mean, especially um, with placement and form, that what I was thinking of is that, I mean, the only, really the only thought that I had when I saw that show, and it's funny, you know, it's funny. Yeah. That's the value of, of Kreber. I think Kreber is funny. Um, and maybe, I, I thought maybe it was more, kind of maybe a send up of Ashley Bickerton because Ashley Bickerton mm -hmm. made these like really labor uh, intensive advertising, totally heavy, fiddly, fussy yes. uh, stuff that dealt with um, mm -hmm. kind of nautical culture and surfing culture, but it, in stark contrast to Kreber, Bickerton was really serious. You know, Bickerton really meant it and w is a mm -hmm. real moralist. And mm -hmm. and so I thought, in you know, in some ways, maybe maybe he was almost like taking the taking the mm -hmm. opportunity where where the critical fervor around Bickerton has yes. kind of reemerged to to take that that undercut. But whatever one's feelings about Bickerton, if you see a big a show of Bickerton. You, you don't have the identical sensation from one piece to the next. I mean, within his own perverse logic, there's um, there's something, there's some re-thinking uh, or sort of reapplication from uh, piece to piece. Um, Faye, uh, did you find your thoughts changing as you moved from surfboard to surfboard, or was it a one-line joke? And if it was a joke, did you laugh? <laughs> well, none of the above. Okay. Um, I actually have very different reactions to this work. Um, and I think it's interesting because it's true with Kreber that um, I remember that art forum issue where there were the three articles on Kreber and there were three very different. I, I mean, I think, that, I think that because of his refusal to make meaning in, in, in a certain way, you can get this kind of, this kind of these people flailing about in the critical world trying to, and, and so I'm gonna flail too, but um, my flailing, I was actually pretty interested in the show, and and um, the the thing that struck me when I went in was a feeling that it was at once incredibly overstocked and incredibly empty, and particularly with those. Okay, so we have these two parts which we I think we really need to address. On the one hand these windsurf boards that were sliced up all in exactly the same way, not always in the same number of pieces. But you were, I was very aware of the spaces between the parts. And also, if you went up close, the styrofoam that you could see, or whatever it is, underneath this painted surface, which was this kind of emptiness. Um, so that was going on in that room. And then there was this other room, which was not a little room filled with drawing, uh, with, with a few drawings. It was a big room with a few drawings in it that were just kind of stuffed in the corner. Well, so it was little in comparison to the other room. It was a smaller room, but it was still, especially with just this little. So, and what was in that room but these extremely hand-done things? Um, so and I was interested in the idea of- also? They were also? They were old, right? There, there, there are five drawings. There, there are four of them are this, of the same one. They're of his, this rock singer friend of his. I probably, he's probably famous and I don't know, but anyway. But, um, and the fifth one was this, this, this church with a steeple. And I was, I thought that was a hilarious sequence because the guy has a really big nose. So you're looking from one drawing to the next and then the steeple has this big, 
kind of schnoz itself. So I just thought the whole thing was, was sort of hilarious. But then there was this room filled with stuff. And I want to go back to what you said initially, which was the Damien Hirst connection. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, th I think that that's apropos, absolutely. And, and I think that Roberta Smith mentioned something about how, uh, about a shark, you know, the shark. Uh, but I, I was thinking it was the, the shark, you know, biting the, the uh, ah. things. But I think more, more to the point, and given what was going on just right around then, which, which and I don't, I'm sure, obviously, he's conceived the show before all that happened, but the Damien Hirst show, um, the situation in the market, and I, and, and I know that he doesn't make meaning in this way, but I couldn't help but think of, you're bringing up the word fetish, I think if we kind of take that one step further and think of commodity fetishism, and the idea of the commodity as something that's essentially, it, you know, it's, it's empty, emptily quantified things, right? I mean, it doesn't have any kind of internal value. It has to do with how it's traded and how it's, so, so it, you know, getting to this idea that we have these commodities, this enormous number of things, which is the situation in the art world when you went or go around and there's so much stuff everywhere. On the one hand, and that kind of very emptied out, banal, if you want to say that, um, kind of cool but overstuffed room and then there's this little hand these little handmade drawings having to do I think with much more the hand of the artist and something much more much more there although he does repeat the figure but I think that's rhetorical that's I think that is as much fetishized as the wind that's more so surely because yeah. the, the it's more authentic the, by version by 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 the mere fact that you are more emotionally drawn to those than you will to the sort of Let's say glacial nature. But of course you are. If if, if they're if they're if they're if they're if it's if it's I mean that's the whole thing about use value versus versus you know you know symbolic value is that that has an affect that has that's connects whatever. But the surfboards have been stripped of their use value by yes the absolutely same, by the same exact process. But but in so in so doing they enter a new use value which is that of a, a aestheticization but see i don't the think same, they have the i don't think they have a use value i i, I think they're i think he, that i think that they're i think that they're i mean they're not I mean, giving them away for nothing so they 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 have a value they well, that, that's all the more so than all the more more so are they mm. commodities i mean they're, yes. they're they're pure commodities i think the commodity actually the, the commodity aspect is actually in the the place of in the fabrication of michael Kreber. I think it's the fact that the, this constant displacement of of real of real fetish. The fact mm -hmm. is, no one surfboard's any more special than the what's, other. What's real fetish? The, the, that, the, that the process of commodification is not happening on the level of each drawing or each surfboard. No. It's happening on I the agree. level of Michael yes. Craver as the a artist. The art. Yes. And that's, mm -hmm. that is the ploy. Mm -hmm. and, that, and I think there's equal weight being put here on, and this will be interesting in light of Popel and, and Nicole's show. There's equal weight here being put on both gestures. Mm. And, and, they're yes. bo and they both point to what is recognizable, one as painting. Mm. You know, can those surfboards be turned into, a, can they desperately be turned into paintings? And two, can the sort of inveterate childish scribbles of, of a 50-year-old man be considered a kind of expressive, affective thing? They're both completely rhetorical. And I would say mm -hmm. that in the end, they're, they're collapsed. And they're both about the, what you point out, which is this, mytholo this mythologizing of the artist. And then, well, we get, we're getting a little bit closer here, and then we're getting very, very cold here. I think that's actually the I that's, think it's very that's sarcastic, yeah. cynical stuff. 
And, and it's a, it, these are gestures and rhetorics that we've had, um, you know, about 90 years to get used to. So um, uh, while we've gathered that they have uh, very little aesthetic value to us, I think we're agreeing. Um, are we? Uh, are we? Actually, is it a club we need we, to join? When you say that, you mean like as an art? Like, would I ever buy one of those windsurf boards and have it in my house? It's like, is that what you're saying? I mean, that that's that's what gets. Well, I mean, because that would be absurd. That's why I said to you when you were showing them, are we going to see them all? I mean, there's no point in seeing them all. I think, except except to see them all as. Well, he made them all. He gave us them all. Uh, we were shown them all. Um, uh, you, one has to start from an empirical observation. If you right. come to the conclusion that they're all one gesture and it's a crass gesture, well, that's so be it. But one one wants to start uh, with a level playing field, and he he chose to fill these, this voluminous space with this number of objects. They are individually different in certain respects and not in others. See, I think they're the same. I mean, they're cut differently. They, they have some different colors, but I think that, that it's basically, they're all the same thing. It's just, you well, know. Well, they're, they're seriot, but they're not the same. I mean, the point is the minute infinitesimal, impossible differences that he is no way responsible for. He had nothing to do... interested in. Yeah, he no, had nothing to do with what we may actually... Be, oh, that's a particularly interesting one. Well, that's why that detail was especially <laughs> hilarious. Is that, right. is that, wow, that's, that's kind of pretty. But then when you see the whole show, it's just, no, that's not... It has nothing to yeah, do with the Yeah, I agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that we may have the impulse to do so, I think is fascinating. <laughs> But that's but it's so but it's so um, it's it's an experience one has all the time with 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 uh, conceptual and minimal art for the last forty or fifty years. It's so, a, apart from being um, banal and dreary, it's so unoriginal. These, these I said gestures. I said it, I started by saying it was conservative, but I mm. also think that take the take the devil's advocate argument. Mm. Um, you can say that about just about anything that's interesting that people have been doing it forever. So you can say about something that's completely vapid, and you can say it about something that's completely interesting. And in one respect, it's pejorative, and the other respect, it's celebratory. Yes, but to paraphrase Tolstoy, I mean, every, uh, every interesting but done-before work of art is interesting in its own particular way, whereas uh, everything, every boring and done-before work of art is pretty much the same, aren't they? I don't know. Uh, I, 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 think wow. the, I think the uninterestingness <laughs> of this is... Um, Kind of interesting. Yeah, I do actually, and, yeah. and I and I and I find the and I find, and again, I, I want to just I, not to belabor my point, but but mm. that emptiness between them, I think, is mm. just you know that's there's a certain con, you know you see this continuity in his work, you know the way mm -hmm. he the way he places things and mm -hmm. the emptiness, you know, the, I was just so struck by those how bright the surfaces were, and then how you see the that styrofoam which is just so light and so mm. nothing, you know. Uh, and the fact that he's making them useless—I don't know. I, I thought it was quite interesting. Quite an interesting. Well, I, I don't get to see many surfboards, so I mean, uh, wind surfboards. Uh, wind surfboards. Wind so uh, uh, that means it's not actually to. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, it's not necessarily anthropomorphic, right? The scale of those objects is manageable by a person, but it's outside of the scale of a person. So all, right off the bat, your spatial experience is with an object that is, in a sense, bigger than you. Right, because mm -hmm. a surfboard is to a specific scale, a waveboard. I mean, really, these distinctions become kind of, if you really parse it out, he's dealing with a specific size. It's to a human body, but a bit mm -hmm. off, and then it's spread out. 
you can kind of relate to it because you know what it feels like, but it's outside of your. I loved how shoot too. They were they were like end to end. There was right. this one, then there was another one, then there was another one. They were exactly the same level, you know. Um, but I also had the. Same maybe we're all just crazy and we're looking at cut up surfboards and we think it's interesting. That in of itself, I think, is no, fascinating. I know it is. As as like third part, like if some if some alien group of people <laughs> don't we also are watching us do this, they'll be fascinated. Don't we even have a sensation though, Nick, that that this is. Um, a cruel waste of these surfboards because, as we say, they're not, they're not inherently that dull. I mean, I'd rather see them whole uh, uh, in order to enjoy them as surfboards. But um, do you want to join this club or not? The Kreber Club? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in. I, I'm kind of in. I think, I think he, wins. he finds... I mean, Endgame is something that's been happening for a long time, right? Uh, a, a long time now. Um, and, well, those you know, playing it think it has, yes. <laughs> sure, and it's, I think it's less rare. Uh, there, there are less examples that I can think of anyway of artists who have founded their whole career on, on Endgame, I guess, and, and used it as a way of emptying himself out every time. So there, there is no continuity. Excuse There's, me, I, I think Jasper Johns has been doing it for longer. I, well, the, the difference between John's and Kreber is that there's continuity. I mean, there's formal continuity and there's conceptual continuity. With Kreber, there's neither, which I think is the, the ultimate endgame, is that there's not, it's not endgame as strategy, it's endgame as anti-strategy. And so it's all, it's, you know, it's, it's all in this realm of non-strategic positioning of the artist. What can I get away with and still, and still be considered an artist is... It, well, it's is not just... I mean, I don't think it's just that. I think there I is a... Either. I think there's a serious concern for, you know, what Michael Fried really called the, the, the idea of what, what will be recognized in any period of time as within the realm of painting. I think that's something that Kriver is very interested in, mm -hmm. about the legibility of painting as painting. I think that's a major... That's been a continuous concern of his. Um, and again, that's fairly academic. I mean, it's Hegelian. It's not very sexy, but it is a major issue in post-war American art and in post-war French art, which unites Buren, James Bishop, Martin Barre, Anne Truitt, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Kraber's really following in that tradition. Yeah. Maybe his res the result is perhaps a little bit too I, cynical. I, I, I go more with Richard Prince than any of those names. But Richard Prince is about content, whereas I think Kraber is about... It's opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I think that distinction. So he's is like actually, a formal prince. Well, British prince is highly formal, but prince is interested in the specificity of of the material he's using. He's interested in not just the sheen of something. It's not just the car hood sheen that he's interested in. I mean, the operations are similar. I think the effect is completely different. Okay, let's move on because we've got some more violence and banality to consider. <laughs> Rita Ackerman. Um. Faye, uh, no shortage of affect this time. I, I'm, I'm so bummed out that you're starting with me. Um, because I, I, I just, I, I guess I'm, I, I'm uncomfortably, uncomfortable being really, really negative, but I, I almost have nothing to say about this show. I, I feel like it's, I'll just say that I don't think that she's a terrible artist. I think that she probably, you know, I just think that this one's a, this show's a mess, um, a mess from start to finish. I, I can't figure out why 
she puts things on the on the support she does and why the grommets are used sometimes and I can't figure out what the nurse is supposed to be doing and I think that that and I don't want to sound condescending because I feel like in a certain way this is this is like bad girl art and and it's time to it's time to put that away I think I think there's a there's a whiff in an Ackerman of of this kind of decadent you know Pierre Klosowski you know Hans Belmer European thing that, that I think could be very fruitfully explored, but, but, but it's been abandoned here in favor of, I mean, speaking of, you know, sort of the clubbishness, mm -hmm. here I am talking anyway, right? Um, the, the, the clubbishness that, that Nick was talking about with Kreber, you know, I, I find this, this kind of clubbishness just as, just as, uh, I mean, well, it's night more, isn't it? <laughs> it's what? It's nightclub, whereas it's, it's night uh, clubbishness. Uh, it's, it's, the it's club definitely, that Kreber belongs you know, to is sort of, a cigar-smoking sort of, gentleman's club. But it feels, in this theorists. show, it feels like a really, really tired night clubbishness. You know, like it's, yeah. ti it's time to like, you know, maybe not go out so late every night. It's time to, you know. Um, Think a bit about your supports and your drawing. Think about what you're doing, you know, and, yes. uh, and, um, and, and and take what is a real talent for perhaps for materials to uh, think about what you're going to do with that. And, that, and that's all I want to say about it. I'm not going to. Well, um, uh, I I'm, I'm find myself getting more pleasure from seeing Rita Ackerman on the screen now because it's an antidote to Kreber than I found I was able to <laughs> actually at Andrea Rosen Gallery. So, like in theory, I, I like the fact that um, uh, Rita Ackerman is giving us some. Uh, intense affect and um, uh, some sex, but uh, oh, I just God. look at these paintings and think, you need to you need to book some lessons with Marlene Dumas or someone, and and get your act together. The nice idea, but this isn't working. I don't even think that's the problem. I think the problem is that this is it is this is the most deeply infantilistic show I've ever seen. It is well, that complete would be an and total or utter, and it's not about infantilism, oh, which, would be, which would be fascinating, because I think mm -hmm. it's a deep cultural problem, but it is infantilistic. And mm -hmm. the, the level of narcissistic projection in this work is, was, was unbelievable. And I think it could actually be really interesting to deal with infantilism, because I think, it's a, again, it's a major problem in American culture, but I think it was an enactment of this kind of authentic, create, like the, art, the authenticity of the artist, this kind of, it's not that they're bad because she goes out too much, it's that they exist because she goes out too much. That, I mean, this isn't, it's reversed. And that kind of infantilistic idea that someone is going to care about your deep narcissistic projection of like, whatever, whatever that was, is frankly more boring and intolerable than any vapid conceptual gesture. The other problem involved in, this, in, in the show was the feminist position that's being taken, which I hope we, we get to talk about. Secondly, I think, I think, it's, really, I think it's really problematic. I think that the kind of fourth wave reappropriation of these, like, you know, the, the problem with Belmare and, and Klosowski is that they actually were sadistic men, that they actually were abusive, sadistic men. It might make their art more interesting, but recouping that as a kind of fourth wave turnaround ideology is something I think is beyond Rita Ackerman's toolbox. <laughs> However, I think that the trope of the nurse is actually really fascinating. And what Richard Prince, to go back to what you were saying, does, is he points out the, the, the weird, sadistic male fantasy of the nurse, which is actually really interesting. It, it goes back to like 50s pulp novels. It's kind of an interesting idea in American culture. There's a deep 
it, again, infantile fantasy scenario about nurses. These weren't nurses, these were little girls that, that she keeps using, this kind of same, the, the figures are always the same, the, the portraits always look the same, and it's masked in this kind of like, you missed the party kind of art. Like we had an amazing time in my studio, and there was a bunch of crap, and look what happened. I don't think Rita Ackerman's a bad artist, I think that there's deep infantilism here that, that really just makes the show completely intolerable for me. Well, from uh, um, Nick, what do we make of, never mind Richard Ackman, what do we make of Joao Ribas, a man who can take any amount of end-game um, uh, art but can't cope with infantilism? Where, where do you stand morally on infantilism? I think that one needs to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, it's Sarah Palin feminism is what it is. Um... Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's hard it's hard not to agree. And the um, the way the way women, um, I guess it's not the it's not like the way that women are pictured or the way women appear in these pieces that is so strikingly problematic. It's more the the lack of care over that as even as an issue. You know, even as a a possible issue which would drive your thinking toward creating composition there it, it's interestingly enough it, there there seems to be no no thought given to that which is one point of interest I mean another is that I, I kind of view Rita Ackerman as the sort of like the, the 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 godmother of this kind of art this like trope of art right this like like a lot of toxic fluorescence and, um, the Godmother or the Cinderella? Yeah, whatever. Like the, I mean, she was she was someone who's who's been doing it for who's been making art essentially like this, really cruddy, um, kind of like barely post pubescent art for a while, and then that that as a as a style really, I mean, you all know this that that kind of exploded right. in in New York anyway, uh, three two three four years ago, and. Um, and it's, and in some ways, I feel like that really damages one's viewing of Rita now because that kind of art ultimately is Rita's kind of art, and and it, you know, it, it's it's sort of like it's been the the bad girl refusal to grow up kind of thing has been molded into this um, this empty signifier of rebellion. And and it makes you think like maybe it, maybe it makes you realize that that's what these works are too. Can you give give us some names of uh, Ackerman acolytes then? Man, the thing is that it's the it, it was such a such a. We're talking about the stuff. Jeffrey Deitch people. Yeah, kinda. Um, I mean, I I, I don't want to drag specific galleries through the mud, but there was a lot of it. And I, you know, well, there was a lot of it at the Whitney Biennial, obviously. Um, maybe like 04, mm. 04, 06. Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, maybe especially 06. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got to say. Okay, well, infantilism doesn't get the big thumbs up from this panel. Uh, let's take a quick break, though. I mean, uh, anyone like to make a, a, a case for Ackerman that we, uh, and, uh, and also bring in some comments on Kreber and, and Ezawa? Uh, Yes. Uh, is there a is there a is there a wandering there is there is a wandering mic, and it really would help actually just take a moment bring it to the front please, um, 
wait for the mic so we can record you as well as hear you. I just want to make one comment. I'm Molly Barnes from Los Angeles. Uh, did you know that Jack Youngerman was married to Delcy Styrag, the first uh, star of the original Mary and Bud? That's all. No, I that's a great art world connection. And there, it's that's it's it. good, that's good to get the footnotes <laughs> in there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, gentleman at the back. Yes, Peter Reginato. Who was married to who? Let's see. I was just wondering, uh, was it, I don't know how to say his name, Kramer? Kramer, Kramer. Yeah. Kramer. Um, no one mentioned anything about like a Cuba splice. I mean, the first thing I saw was a, uh, just cut right down, you know, like a, pretty much Cubism 101. Uh, that would seem to be the, you know, most obvious thing going on in the paintings or objects, I'm not sure. Well, Cubism doesn't generally go with completely equal intervals and only in one direction, does it? Yeah, but when you see an object that's been cut and spliced and you can continue it or put it back together, I think it's pretty much a cubist idea. That's, uh, that's that, generous to him, I think. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it goes <laughs> well, back. I don't want to get into that, but... Uh, I think it goes back to this. I mean, that's, that's what I saw right off the bat. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, more comments on any of three of the shows? Or if we could I'm just curious, wait for the mic, if you wouldn't mind. As content in the, the Reader Ackerman, I mean, you, there wasn't really, uh, what is the content of her work or individual pieces? I think the consensus was an infantile sexuality, isn't, wasn't it? Well, it's a, a certain projection of the, dump, the, the, the social role of nurses in providing care. That's what well, the press release said. The press release was incredibly helpful, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was more infuriated by, the show or the, or the press release. But. Downtown, I believe. Well, one, one thing I did like about her work is that there's a kind of an emotionality that I, I relate to that uh, is, to me is a very female kind of emotionality uh, and um, uh, I'm just glad to see that when it's because it seems like it's something that's still suppressed to some extent the you know women now can really you know get attention for expressing things that are are female and, and the culture didn't allow us to express that 30 years ago uh, but I think there is still it is still like tamped down to some extent and I'm, I'm glad to see a certain female, you know, emotional, you know, like a... I'm not sure what female emotionality is. I mean, I'm not sure what that... Well, that's that, right. That's exactly yeah. right. That's why I think... No, that, I don't that, say... That, that how can you build a hegemonic... Because you can't really relate to that level of uh, uh, excitement. Uh, of but how can you build a monolithic sense of... I mean, neither can... All, I mean, maybe other women in the room can't relate to that either. I mean, I don't think it's a gender issue. I think it's a monolithic... It, it, you cannot essentialize something like as big as female emotionality. It's, an ob it's a social object that doesn't exist. What, what does that mean? To, to, to what? I mean, I, I don't understand. I'm just asking, I don't understand what that overarching meta category could possibly mean. It sounds well, like I a feminism that... that one last heard in Vienna around 1895 or something. I, I mean, mean that's this, what Freud was real... interested in, is getting all your fe feminine feelings out. And he didn't do such a good job. 
at, at, at being a, open to the spectrum of what those feelings could who, be. Who did you say? Freud. Oh, Freud. I mean, he didn't, <laughs> oh, yeah. he, he was interested in that, didn't really let those categories open up. And, why, and I would, why am I getting such negative reaction to this, though? Because I, mean, I, I think just, you're, because, uh, you're essentializing it. Such resistance. I mean, it's like being in an argument with a boyfriend or something like that. You know, it's like, oh. I think that just further emphasizes my point, actually. Take the mic. I mean, surely, um, sh I, 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 surely the point is Thank about... Thank you for not making the woman, the woman address that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm just really... I'm, no, I'm taking no I'm position. Saying I'm saying you... Yeah, you cannot really... I mean, I've, I've now essentialized into the role of an abusive boyfriend. The point is actually that... Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're, 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 the argument going on here is about the content. I would say exactly the same thing about the form, and that is that this is, this is like a, a, a sophomoric express, a student... Uh, yeah. playing with, uh, opening uh, a book on expressionism and not reading the text. Uh, <laughs> to, me, to me, it just seems like a, uh, wailing around and, and, and so, so uh, banal and insulting to, to feminism to, to, to sort of recycle, so atavistic, to recycle a sort of a notion of the eternal feminine, she who must be obeyed, uh, you know, let's, let's use some gory paint to, to get our I mean, yeah. true feelings out, because yeah. we're, we're women. And also, I think, I think the, the, the patent laziness of it, you know, I mean, I, I think that, I think, you know, you're saying that, that you like it because it's emotional, but I, I think that, um, that the, the, the formal uh, laziness of, of, of this work, you know, that just the just degeneration into, into amorphous blots of nothing and mm. uh, of no interest whatsoever is, is a real insult to, exactly. um, you know, being able to, exp let's, let's say, express emotion or whatever, that, that in fact that, that is possibly the worst and most insulting kind of thing you can do for... Imagine, it's too intellectual a, uh, but imagine a, putting imagine putting uh, one of these paintings next to a Nicole Eisenman, for instance. Right. I mean, you yeah. know, anyone else? <laughs> um, someone had made a statement earlier about the uh, on the Kreber thing about the kind of in-game formalist career, and I was wondering if anyone had considered this idea that he is in fact maybe a performative artist and that all of this is just simply in theatrics of promoting a, a career mentality and nothing to do with actual individual artworks and these are simply documentation of performative events that he has occurred somewhere that we don't care I think about. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. No, I don't, I, don't no? Think they're, I don't think they're documents. I mean, I, mean, I think that the, I, I that's where the commodification is happening, is on that level, is, is what I said. But. On a conceptual level, I think they, they could be considered as performances. And I mean, Krever was a, maybe, maybe someone knows the history better than I do, but I think he was a, a, a student of Kippenberger in Cologne and then became Kippenberger's assistant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's a school of thought that I think, uh, that I think, I, I think was developed in, in Cologne in the 70s and 80s and, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think Krever is, is completely immersed in that and completely immersed in um, per performative games and performative games uh, happening in and out of the art world. And it's an art world that seems to be very open to uh, giving people a big career opportunity to, to devote their entire lives to debunking art. <laughs> uh, let's, let's actually, unless there's somebody who hasn't spoken already, I'd like to move on to our, our last two shows, um, um, where there's maybe a, 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 
maybe some more violence and banality, but I think maybe oh, there some is. nuances uh, between the two. Um, and um, I'm going to take a, a bold move, um, which might be seen to be forcing a comparison between two shows that don't need to be compared. But I'm going to run. Th we're going to run through the slides of both our last two sh of our last two shows together. Um, We've been looking at William Pope L, uh, exhibition of uh, mostly works on paper at uh, Mitchell, Innes, and Nash um, uptown. And um, Nicole Carabini showing in two venues, but she told me at least that she considered them to be one project. Okay, I think that's it, isn't it? Thank you. Wonderful. And perhaps a, a hand for Gabby Grodin, who put this presentation together. Well, I, I think we'd all agree in a very marked contrast to Ruta Ackerman, a, a greater degree both of knowingness and, and of um, expressivity in both of these artists. Um, it was mostly with an eye on the clock rather than thinking that we would force a comparison of any sort between two such uh, different artists as Pope L and uh, uh, Carabini. Um, but... Uh, um, uh, I, I wonder if we can uh, think about uh, the relationship in these two shows between a, a quite gestural, expressive, um, almost kind of a very fluid, kind of gooey kind of uh, uh, mark-making and uh, a, a controlled sense of language and, and, and what that might what might might be or might mean? Would would either of, would anyone like to plunge in on one of the, or both of the artists in, yeah. in that relation? Faye? Yeah, I, I would I would really like to because I, I actually think it's a it's very interesting. I want to talk specifically about about William Popel. Um, it's nice getting that right after Rita Ackerman because I think that um, one of the things that I was I, I actually was really blown away by by those drawings. Um, and had gone up to the show today with a heavy heart, having read the New York Times book, uh, New York Times review, and thinking, "Oh, this is going to be a crappy show." I thought it was it was an incredible show, and I thought the drawings were extraordinary. And 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 I think that it, if you know, just coming after Ackerman, those I, I, without talking about the whole show, but the little drawings. Um, seem to me to be, I mean, yes, ostensibly you look at them and there's a kind of an expressivity to them, there's a gestural quality, but in fact, I, I think they're incredibly, incredibly well-controlled drawings. And in fact, if anything, they reminded me almost of old, ma like of cousins or old master drawings. I mean, I think he takes that, he take, finds those little pieces of paper and those little pieces of paper are not surfaces. Those little pieces of paper are actual, actually become these kind of precious things that are incorporated um, and made and, and treated in such, a, such an interesting and intelligent way. Um, and, um, and looking at all, the, and, and the, just so much to look at in them. If, if you look, for example, at the content of, the, of those little worm forms with the glasses and you think about Gustin and, um, and just kind of um, uh, the, 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 the subject of war and, and, and you know, the explosions. And, I, and in fact, I was really struck when I was standing and looking at the drawings and hearing the, the, the thumping going on in the, in the wooden box, which, which, which felt to me like a coffin. Um, 
and and this kind of um, this kind of this kind of giving of life to something that um, you know and, and keep keeping something living, um, taking those old pieces of paper, making them alive again, um, you know, and 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 sort of revivifying the mark. And and I just thought it was it was just um, a very moving experience for me. So it's interesting. I had almost the complete opposite reaction. I mean, I. And I should say that Povell is one of my favorite artists. He, really? He, he's, I mean, I think one of the, one of the art, learning about him is part of what got me into art. And what I, it was, it was an attitude thing. And it was, uh, it was, for him, it was his willful lack of attentiveness toward things traditionally associated with high art, like the mark, and replacing that with, um, coffee stains, hair, uh, semen, uh, you know, gross, uncomfortable stuff. Mm -hmm. And this, by, by Pobel's standards, was so clean and so uh, precious that it, it, it blew me away. I've never seen anything like him that has been anything like this. And that was... Uh, Bracing and and I liked it less. I mean what what Popo really uh, Gets at for me is this um, You know, he, I'm, I'm sure we all saw the same quote on one of the napkins or travel itineraries or whatever it was that uh, I wrote down I suppose these drawings are about the Iraq war, but they're also about the war on the ground and the you know this this notion of the war on the ground is something that uh, he has been able to get at so lucidly with his, not only the, the, you know, the iconic performance work, crawling, crawling up, uh, up Broadway um, on a skateboard, like, uh, you know, obviously with connotations of being a homeless person, uh, sitting in front of art galleries in 1978 on a blanket and pouring Thunderbird over his head. Um, this, you know, there was, there's a, a visceralness and intensity about the the performance work and also the the visual stuff that hangs on a wall but is much more materials based peanut butter uh, there's there's decay there's stink um, I guess their their preciousness was was what uh, surprised me and maybe saddened me a little bit. One thing that I also thought was interesting and this is the last thing I'll say for now is that I don't know if this is intentional or not but all the um you know, it's, it was it was almost like this was a project, like a a, a diaristic project, like mm -hmm. a yeah. a way to a way to stay busy mm -hmm. and stay creative and active while being on the road. And it really makes you think about the life of the the 21st century artist as this this kind of nomad, you know, going between um, hopping hopping between cities and being in some ways, you know, hopping between projects and, and in some ways being forced to to make art on hotel stationery and, and restaurant napkins. And so do you think maybe you shouldn't show those things? Is that what you're... I don't know. I, mean, not... I, I couldn't agree, disagree with you. I mean, I, I, I sort of feel like poor, mm. poor, you know, Rita Ackerman mm. was saying, you know, time to grow up, time to, you know, mm -hmm. change. You know, I mean, I, I guess I feel like, you know, he's he, those drawings are not... I mean, he goes back into them. They're not... I mean, he works on them over a period of time, even the little ones, you know. he They aren't just done at one shot, a lot of them. Um, and I think it's unfair of you yeah. to hold him to that. To let, me, that. let me bring uh, Joao in because no, I mean, do, do, you, do you think it's unfair of Nick to 
uh, as it were, be angry at the diffusion of anger in, in Popel? Are these, uh, are these calm down older man uh, drawings that, that uh, are pale imitations of that, of the, of the energy of the performances? I, or do you think it's a new chapter? What do you, do you I don't think he's, I don't think it's a question of him sort of tempering with age or anything. Um, I think Popel's always been an interesting phenomenon of an artist who is very elusive in the sense that he, every time he gets close to taking a position, in uh, particularly the position, the idea of a black artist, I think he's always deflecting that. And there's a, there's a kind of awkwardness to the drawings that I think is interesting. They're in a really interesting long tradition of the kind of generative pocket drawing um, issue, which I, you sort of brought up. And you know, for example, it goes back, if you look at Hans Christian Andersen's drawings, they're really interesting. They're very revelatory about his life and the time he spent in Italy and his weird relationship to his homosexuality and being in Italy, so traveling and a kind of manifestation of personal life. Um, and so I think for him, they, they're very deflationary. They allow him to kind of do something which perhaps in any other guise would not be possible or mm -hmm. permissible, whether it's by the rules of you know, what dictates the proper procedure for making art, which is the, some of the things we've been talking about, but also the kind of received subject matter for an artist who is ostensibly supposed to be concerned with social issues. So I think there's a kind of deflationary aspect, which is which is quite charming, and a kind of self-revelatory, mock heroic position, you know, where, where he says, "I guess this is about the war," and, it, and of course it's really not, and that and that's what's kind of awkwardly charming about it. And I think it's it's a kind of position of failure, that I think personally actually goes back to the to, for example, to Kippenberger, you know, that once you accept failure as your terms, or once you accept a kind of awkwardness as your terms. There's something very liberating about that. And I, and I think that for an African-American artist to take that as a kind of quote-unquote permissible strategy, I actually think is really interesting. And, and, and Popel's very open about this. He says, for example, you know, I remember he, you know, one, one very kind of deadpan thing. He says, you know, did you ever think about how all the Robert Ryman paintings are white? Well, of course I thought, but no, I haven't thought about that, right? I mean, and so that kind of thinking, that kind of, Having it be awkward and deflationary, I think is actually really interesting. And it's also the fact that is, there is no, there's no, no apology is made for making completely diaristic, non-theatrical, relatively awkward art. I, I agree with you that the preciousness, I mean, I there's like a thousand awkward. of them. I, I, there is, I think there's an awkwardness to the medium itself. They I seem think, rather fluent to I, me. I, I don't uh, find them, the, I, I found really? them, uh, formally, I just found them, each and every one with maybe one, I mean, just take for example that one, there was one that was on yellow paper, right, the yellow line paper, it had been crumpled up, he opened it up, he did this sort of war scene on it, he drew a line down the middle and you're thinking, you know, this column is for this, it's like the way you would make a list of priorities. Right. I, mean, I just feel like every, I, I don't feel that these were, I don't feel that these were like, kind of dumbly expressionistic. I don't think that they were, I think they were extremely um, sophisticated little drawings. That doesn't each mean and that every they're one, not awkward. Each and every one. No, I don't but awkward think they're is, awkward. Uh, it can be a rhetorical gesture, can't it? It's, it's, it's a, it comes down to handwriting more than... Uh, I mean, they're awkward uh, in the way Gustin's awkward. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. that's what I mean. That oh, I see. That I, I saw yeah. them as being uh, rather akin to Cy Twombly, actually. In, in there the, were a couple that were very Cy Twombly. The, the scribble is, yes. is certainly not that of an infantilist. No, 
I hope I even adults are awkward. I, I hope I didn't imply that they were dumbly impressionistic. I, I, I don't think that. Um, I, don't, I don't think I didn't, that at all. I didn't, I didn't think you no, said no, that no, at no, all. I mean, yeah. they're, actually, uh, they're actually similar to, um, and I think he maybe showed this as, as artist books in the past, this project called Whole Theory of his, which I think is more the linguistic, linguistic equivalent of this body of stuff, which appeared more as images, although there is was a lot whole of text. Is that whole W-H or H-O-L-E? I mean, it's, it's essentially poetry, mm-hmm. uh, weird prose that has gone back in and doodled on, uh, stained with weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a similar, I think, I think this is something he does and has done compulsively, is do- self-document. And, and take this kind of diaristic position with himself. I, I guess my, my surprise generated from the presentation, not mm. so much from the content, but the, the presentation of this stuff in frames and it's a Tony and, Uptown Gallery, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which I, not I mean, his usual. has Pope L even I, ever I, showed at a, at a gallery in, you know, at a, at a New York that's not like artist space, that's not a. Well, whatever. That's beside the point. But I mean, it was, it was, yeah. I was, I was surprised. But I by think, I think that's that's. An, I mean, I, I had a little problem with the stuff in the other room, actually. But, but I think that presentation. I'll argue, you know, was absolutely fitting for how each one of those drawings were. That was. I mean, it's it's obviously very different from this this whole history that you're talking about. But I think that each one of those things was a precious separate. I mean, I just. I, 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 it makes sense to me that he would want them framed like that. I, I think it's, um, I, and I don't think, and I don't think it's, a, and this is not a situation where an artist has a lot of ephemera lying around and they're trying to make some value out of their work. You know what I mean? Like, let's try to find some stuff by this guy to sell. We don't have any stuff to sell. It didn't feel that way to me. I, fe- I felt like those drawings were, that there was a reason for them to be like that. And how about that. the relationship between that rather enigmatic structure and the drawings? Did that work? What did that mean? Anybody? Well, I thought the thumb thing was... <laughs> I, I think I have, I have very few rules of thumb, but I've come up with two. One is no coffins. All across the board, a bad idea. Number two, no, I missed the party art. Like beer cans thrown about, like they had an amazing party and I missed it. So those two things are rules of thumb. And the... The, co- the coffin art is always flat. I think it, it's just, it doesn't work for me. So I just, when I see a coffin, I just kind of go, I'll get to it eventually. I don't have to deal with it right now. So that's coming. I'll deal with it when I have to. I, I didn't even necessarily make, think of it as a coffin, though. I mean, What's I called coffin it... box? And it, it sort of had a coffin-like shape, which delineated coffin to me. Uh, my rule of thumb of not reading the labels must be uh, oh. challenged. Yes, okay. <laughs> Let's look at our last show. Let's think about our last show then. We, we're looking at some slides of those two, two installations of work uh, of uh, Nicole Carabini. Um, I mean, going back to Kreber, it, uh, we would just all sort of complain that, or we debated as to whether, and it was almost an academic debate as to whether it's worth looking at each individual piece. Uh, with Carabini, it seems to me we're dealing with a classic artist in that she's got a language, and yet in each piece 
it's, it's a thing in itself. Anyone want to disagree with that? No, I agree with it. I mean, I, this, this was kind of the show for me. Um, Faye, I think you said this about Rita Ackerman. This was the show for me where I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't really have much. You know, I don't, I don't have much in the way of entertainment value for you all tonight on Nicole <laughs> Carabini. I mean, it's, I guess this is an example of, of an artist who I've just never quite got. You know what I'm saying? And I, like, I, I, I get the connotations that there are here with, um, you know, with a Greek and Roman sculpture and, and pottery as potentially a kind of um, quote unquote feminine labor, which is made into something strident and aggressive and kind of uh, ugly and strong. Um, it's like I, I see the connotations and I'm not, I'm unable to weave the thread together that relates to me having a succinct opinion on Nicole Carabini. I just don't, and I don't really, um, that yeah, this is the show for me where I was sort of like, mm, I hope my panelists can help me out on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, sure I think Faye was very I, entertaining on Rita Ackerman, <laughs> just that Rita Ackerman wasn't entertaining for Faye. I mean, that's a, a difference there. But um, Faye, I, I really wanted to like the show, these shows a lot, and 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 I also was was kind of a little lost lost with them. Um, but but I'm not willing to give up either. And and there were certain things about them that 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 interested me. Um, form you know again it was a, a very physical thing. You know where where I, I can't I don't know whether there's some overarching project. And if the overarching the overarching project I don't think as such is particularly interesting the, the riff on classicism or whatever. But but physically I found some of them quite interesting. Um, some of the little the, there was one piece where she had uh, it was an amphora. And there were three handles on it, sort of in these funny places. And then there was a, a, a sort of a, a little, a little teeny chain hanging from it. And and you, it was just a sort of a funny, you know, you pull the chain and it lights up, or you know, I mean, it was just. And then, you know, the one where there was a wooden wooden base, the idea of playing with the idea of the base with the with a prop stick, and yeah. you know, and painting the wooden the wooden areas, um, you know, I think physically gave it, but it, it sort of wasn't, there, there just isn't enough muscle in it or something for me. I guess their, their total non-sensicality is, was Can be nice, vaguely right? redeeming to me, yeah. and the way that they were, you know, kind of constructed, uh, they were not constructed professionally, right? They were, they were like, oh, I disagree. I collaged I... together, right? They were made from, I think they were made, the, the press release said they were made from broken pieces, but of her, own, of her own make, manufacturing. Of, of her own making, and then, and then sort of collage together, so you get this, like, uh, 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 something that if you want to use uh, constructively or as a, you know, as a functional object would be more or less impossible. And that... Well, yes, there are. I mean, but, I mean, uh, there, there, that's... Somebody mentioned... Uh, Peter Reginato mentioned cubism. I didn't think cubism had any relationship to uh, Kreber, but cube, without cubism, we wouldn't have Carabini. I mean, this is, uh, this is an artist whose, whose work is all about language, exuberance, and, and just as uh, somebody like Kreber can be applauded for uh, an interminable end game, uh, without b being infantilist, she's, she has an, 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 uh, she's in the Rilkean sense ever a beginner. I mean, there's it's just life and energy and, and beauty in these, in these objects. And there, there's a poetry. She's uh, 
got her own things. They're broken. They're reassembled. Uh, they're not about. They're certainly not utilitarian as 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 vessels. But surely we've we've had quite a long time to get used to the idea that a ceramic-based art doesn't have to be craft. You know, I, I wonder if if there was. This is one of these stupid things people say about about shows, but I really think this is a show that where everything should have been together. I, I don't think they should have been separated. I shouldn't, don't think they should have been in two different spaces. I think that there would have been a little bit more, like that piece at, at the little gallery downtown was, was much more, you know, it was kind of a little more monumental and I was a little baffled by it until I went to the other show and, saw, and so I was going back and forth like this and I, I thought the prints you know, if those had been, I just, I just felt that there was something, there was something a little off, in, in even in the, in the way they had decided to put this work out. Mm. I don't know whether that's useful. Yeah, it, it might be useful once we've come to terms with the artist and what she's doing. But I, I think it's maybe a technicality. Yes, it'd be nice to see it in one venue. Um, and I, I, I thought the, the display at Demilio Terrace was exponentially tougher and 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 bolder than the slightly studenty. Um, Play of because she's about playing forms against each other within the works. I right. don't think we need to see a play of those forms between the works. I, I, do. I, I do. No, I actually, I, I completely agree, and I think that she's actually an interesting example of an artist really working with the logic of discrete sculpture, um, discrete in the ETE in, in the ETE sense, and really dealing with the language of discrete sculpture and its relationship to the, not only contemporary art but the history of objectness. Mm -hmm. So. A contemplative object, a useful object, a minimalist object, you know, the support, the object, how it sits, how the two relate. I think she's really an artist whose formal vocabulary hones in on something that's been missing, uh, more or less successful, depending on your opinion, I think in a lot of not only sculptural work, but in contemporary art in general. This sort of all-overness gets reduced to discrete object. I think where it there's some resistance, and I think underlying perhaps what you're saying is I think the pathetic aspect of the work can sometimes be a bit, a bit much, which is this, there is an implicit, supposedly implicit critique of sort of Ersatz opulence, right, of wealth and materialism <laughs> through the sort of applique of these very Baroque elements. Mm -hmm. And I think that going, going so elegant and crafty and handmade and touch and glazed and then lowering that pretty deeply by sticking on the total opposite, the sort of ersatz, mm. glitzy, gross, yeah. tacky things, I think actually deflates what is interesting about the work. But, I, but I don't think that those are to be read as a kind of pop critique. Um, I think that she's doing what any artist who's about juxtaposition and moving her own language forward would do, which is testing uh, boundaries, her own boundary and the viewers for the endurance it's, it's about testing endurances, both uh, mechanically about whether these things can stay together and aesthetically as to whether uh, this is just too tacky and too vulgar yeah. and too opulent. I think there's, a, there's an impetus to believe that. And for me, it actually comes from the fact that she, for me, she fulfills, I think, one of the most important criteria for great sculptors, which is they make great drawings. I think if you look at David Smith, David Smith's drawings are absolutely incredible. Historically, that's sort of been true. That, and I think if you look at the drawings of, of someone who's, who is a sculptor who really deals with sculptural volume, her work is all about sculptural volume. This whole idea of use value of the, 
of the uh, vessels, to me, is actually about the play of the negative space of use value, right? It's a space that has a volume, but it's a volume that's useful. What if you split that volume and break it and make it visible and manifest? And I think the drawings actually have that sensitivity in them. Hmm. And for, for me, it really is about overcoming that that very simple gesture, which I think it is. I think it is meant to be a kind of pathetic thing. I think it's meant to be high low. You know, I think it's oh, it's, sure. it's meant to be classicism. And, and also, I don't think the classicism aspect should be, should go unremarked because I think classicism itself today is it's a really seductive and interesting strategy to artists because you cannot appropriate classicism. You can only really enact it. It, it's a kind of imaginary. It's, it's like classicism is really this kind of weird collective exactly. But it's also, it's also going against, I mean, you could say it's, I guess Donald the myth Judd of the belongs to a kind of classicism and it's a refined, austere, minimal forms. But she's perhaps reminding us that, uh, as Nietzsche tried to, that classicism wasn't neat and clean and monochrome. It, it was uh, very visceral and pagan and, and, and... And it's also against the myth of the avant-garde, right? It's, it's a really clear rejection of the kind of sui generis, Rita Ackerman, expressive emotionality. It's drawing on a set of tropes oh, yes. that are... She's a linguist. Yeah, they're, they're sort of perennial tropes, right? That, she's a linguist without being academic in any yeah. way. And again, I think that those, those surfaces that we got to see that nice detail yes. of, you know, I mean, Glaze those are not... Yeah, but, but it's not like this, this, this kind of, let's just let, let loose on this, you know? Yeah. But I was thinking in terms of the classicism, there was this one piece where there's the, the photograph of the pot with the procession on it, mm -hmm. and then there's a stick that leads, you know, a green stick that leads to the, to the mm -hmm. piece, to her, to her, well, her piece. The whole thing is her piece, but mm -hmm. I like that sort of bridge that was made, mm -hmm. um, this, and, and making it in, into this kind of messy green stick between the classical. Mm -hmm. So there was this very, the relationship to, to the classical, I think, was very, um, it, it had this kind of freshness to it, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was not an arid. Oh, let's make an amphora, you know. It was. It was more. It, that one. That one piece to me just felt really, um, you know. Yeah. And coming back to what you're saying about surface, her her her, her gooeyness is, is 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 charge, not discharge, which is what one absolutely which is what one gets from loving <laughs> Rita Ackerman. Right. Unless Nick has suddenly been animated well, to say something. Well, you, well, perhaps ask the audience if they have any comments to share on, on William Pope L or on uh, 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 Nicole Carabini. There's a, if you wouldn't mind waiting for the mic, the lady in the blue sweater. Yeah, pass it along. Thank you. I hope I'm not being obvious, but uh, I was told that the thumping is the sound of a flag hitting the flagpole. Mm -hmm. That was the original sound? Oh. That's right. Oh. That was the, uh, from the, the gallery told me that. And the Pope L, yes, thank you, in that coffin. Very interesting. Thank you for that. That's genuine information that mm -hmm. I'm sorry not to have, I'm pleased to have heard. There's another element with the Nicole Calvini uh, high-low uh, tension is the, uh, the block of... Uh, uh, porcelain that just comes out of the plastic bag. It's exactly in the same shape that uh, uh, the, the porcelain comes in and with the, the little folds of the plastic still on it, but it's got a lovely celadon glaze sitting on the top of it in the gallery of the Smith Stewart or Stuart Smith. And 
Smith Stewart. Smith Stewart Gallery. So it, it's a, a different kind of high-low. It's not the, the cheap and nasty high-low. It's a kind of, this is the beginning, uh, because most people who work with clay, that's where it starts with is in the plastic bag, which is kind of a ironic because clay is dirt. Mm. But in fact, it's not really dirt. It's, it's something that comes in a plastic bag. It was just a wonderful element in that, in that, uh, in that uh, large and there were those marble pieces at the base that were just lying there. Yeah. Those little, those little, looked like found pieces of marble that, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, wonderful. I think that's a, 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 a good observation on which to end. If I, if I might. might just uh, take this opportunity to do two things, which are firstly, well, three things. Firstly, to thank my one sterling panel for a brilliant uh, launch to the 2008-09 series. Secondly, to announce the next panel, which is November the 14th, uh, a slight change of personnel. Uh, it, it consists of the panel and now consists of um, Joe Fife, Anna Fennell Honigman, and Mario Navis. And the third point, was there a third point? I said two, three things. Is that you are a fantastic moderator. Yeah. Yes. Such a, good, such a good moderator, my God. Damn, well, what's a third point? <laughs> well, go to www.artcritical.com to hear past installments of the panel. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Hi. Hi.